Good afternoon to you. This is indeed the Shooky Right Show on 91.5 FM, WMFO in Medford. Touch Reform Radio, streaming nationwide on the TuneIn Radio app and globally on WMFO.org. Wherever you may be, however you may be listening, thank you for making the show part of your Saturday afternoon. Listen, I can't believe we're about to approach September. And with the week that has been, it has been quite an eventful week. And I want to try to my best to get to all of it as much as possible during this first segment. And I got to tell you, listen, um, I was going to start the show talking about Tukarask, what happened in Game 3 and whatnot. But I think it's actually the most appropriate that I start with a national story. And that involves one Cincinnati Reds broadcaster, Tom Benneman. Now, in case if you haven't heard by now, Tom Brenneman was suspended indefinitely by the Cincinnati Reds and Fox Sports Ohio by using a gay slur on live television. And the mic happened to be on in which he didn't realize it at the time. But really for me, where I really want to take this is two things. Number one, first place I want to take it is Tom Brenneman has to understand that your words has consequences, and especially, especially in a time and a period in which that now more than ever racism and bigotry and homophobia is being is being spoken out against now more than ever. And number two, Brenneman... Benjamin's apology. I, I, I have I have a hard time with his apology, and that in itself is the part that really gets to me more than anything else. Because Benjamin apologized to the people who who writes his paycheck, but not to the community itself. That's where the problem starts. Now, let me start off by saying that first and foremost, my support goes out. To the marginalized, to the minorities, to the LGBTQIA community, and that number one, there is no, there is no place and there is no room for, um, for for intolerance in today's world. Period, under any circumstance. Number two, the disingenuity in Brenneman's apology screams two things. Number one. You're not truly sorry for what you said. You're sorry that you got caught. Number two, you're not truly sorry for for the fact that you did it. You're you're sorry for the fact that you're about to lose your job, and it showed. And your apology that you said, I don't know if I'll ever be wearing this mic again, whether it be for the Cincinnati Reds or for Fox Sports. You apologize when it was brought to your attention that you were being pulled off the air. But even then, it wasn't even a true and sincere apology. See, the number one thing that I've had to learn is this. And that is, when your pockets are being affected, it, that is exactly when you begin to feel the most sorrow. But if your pockets weren't being affected, then were you truly contrite in your apology? I don't know. I don't, I, don't, I don't think so. And frankly, the people who are most upset about what, what happened right now, or and I'm talking about, and I'm addressing specifically the people who are saying this is, this is classic cancel culture. 
this isn't a classic example of cancel culture. No, it's not. To the racists and the bigots out there, there is no room for your bigotry and your hatred anymore. That is not being accepted. That's not going to be accepted. That's not going to be tolerated in the workplace or anywhere else. It's people like Kurt Schiller who I take the most issue with were saying, well, this is the prime example of cancel culture. You know, it's scary where it's going and so forth. I got news for you. And this is the same individual who got fired from ESPN for, for, for a variety of issues. But especially his, his, his I mean, I don't, I don't know if it was because of his bigotry, but rather for the fact that he, he spewed his views, which did not align with the company views. And as a result, he got canned. But as people who are like-minded, unfortunately, that, that'll take issue with this. But the fact of the matter is this. The Tom Brenneman, a guy whose broadcaster, whose broadcasting career, and his father, who I've respected his work over the years, but his father was absolutely wrong in, in, in defending in the way that he defended his son. That's the problem that I, that I take with it. And it doesn't help the fact that when you look at the comments and you go back and you watch the videos on YouTube because it's all there. I don't even need to play the audio clip from YouTube because it's already bad enough. But I, what I will say is this. What's unacceptable is that is the way that he was it just said it so just freely. It wasn't just the fact that he said it. It was the fact that of how he just said it live on television. And even as a radio broadcaster, that, that in itself, it doesn't sit well with me. It doesn't sit well with me because, number one, I've been taught that if an injustice to anyone is an injustice everywhere, period. You don't got to agree with it. However, I am a firm believer in respect, in showing respect to those who may, who may be different from you. And to Tom Brenneman, frankly, you're not free from, from consequences. You're not. You're just not. And you are part of an example of what happens when you are not careful with your words and especially, especially your actions. Maya Angelou really said it best. She said it best when she said, when someone shows you exactly who they are, believe them. And the fact that Brenneman said that I have never been a bigot or a racist and so forth, I'm not going to sit here and say that, oh, well, he's a racist or, he, or he's a bigot or whatnot, but your actions scream to me and now millions of people who have now seen the video otherwise. And the fact of the matter is, and the sad part is that that's out there forever. There's no turning back from that. And to, for whatever happens next for him, he's going to have to live with it and he's going to have to deal with it. Now, I want to spend the rest of this segment talking about the Bruins in Game 3. Because there's a lot that happened this week. And I'll, I'll touch on... The remainder of what happened in the Carolina Hurricanes, the Boston Bruins series later in the segment. But I want to start off by saying the following in terms of Tuukka Rask. Now, 
when the news of Tuka Rask broke prior to the start of Game 3, about an hour and a half before Game 3, I was angry that Tuka Rask had decided to opt out of the bubble. And that based on the information that was provided at the time, I didn't like the timing of it. And I was the most critical in terms of the timing of it all. But when it was later revealed that his daughter had a medical emergency, that changed everything. And it changed everything for me, especially in terms of my early, my early thoughts, my takes, especially on social media. In which that I made it very clear that now that we know more and that there's more substance to, as to what happened, then my opinion changed. My take changed. But I will say this. Early on, when this, when this first broke, there was legitimate reason to be angry because there were instances and it's been proven time and time again. Whenever the Bruins need to harass the most, he bails. Or he just doesn't show up. That's been his MO. So the reaction, especially here in Boston and across New England, in terms of what happened with Tuka Rask, that was something in which that, at that time, it was understandable. Now, given that we now know what really went down, I'm actually going to defend the guy. Now, I personally don't think we will see Tuka Rask for the remainder of the series, let alone for the, for, for the remainder of the Seneca players for as long as the Bruins are in it. But I do know this. I really do wonder how will this impact his future in Boston as a, as a member of the Boston Bruins. That's something that I really do wonder is if that's being talked about or being discussed internally. And I think it should. And I think it's something that it should be discussed. But... But early on, when I tell you that people were angry, livid, you know, they were done with Tuka Rask and so forth, I will, I will be completely honest and say, listen, I personally felt that I don't, I don't want to see Tuka Rask in a, in a Boston Bruins uniform because of what he did. And that was with the, given what the context was at the time a week ago. But now that we know the truth and we know as to what really happened, do I want him back in a Bruins uniform? Yes. I do, but at the same time, this Stanley Cup playoff for the Boston Bruins is going to be the most telling. It's going to be the most telling because if the Bruins win the Stanley Cup, and I think they can win the Stanley Cup, it will be asterisk, we won the Stanley Cup in spite of Tukarask leaving the bubble. And that Yaroslav Halak was good enough to get us to the promised land. Now as for game three. The part that was the most impressive in all of this was. With the news that broke. And Tuka leaving the bubble. The Bruins. Having come out. And played the way that they did in game three. Was something to absolutely marvel at. Personally. I felt that the Bruins really showed a great deal of fortitude and toughness in ways that I wasn't so sure that the Bruins were going to be able to fight it again, especially coming back from being off for four and a half months. But I couldn't help but be proud of the Bruins in terms of the mental toughness and the adversity that they face 
and as well as how Bruce Cassidy, through it all, was able to lead these guys through this period of time and be able to keep them focused and be able to find their game. And that in itself is is absolutely remarkable when you consider that going into the series, the, con- the concern was, were the Bruins ever going to find their game? You know, they, they were not getting much offense at all. They weren't getting anything for the perfection line for Marshawn, Bergeron, and Pasenak. Pasenak got injured. That's also the other part. Pasenak got injured in game one and hadn't, and hadn't returned. So the concern was, who was going to take Pasenak's spot on the top line? Turns out to be Andrew York. So that in itself was a concern. And now, I, do, I will ask this following question. Moving forward, do you think that the Bruins should consider keeping Andrew York in the lineup? Move him down to the third line, perhaps. And it's something to consider and something to think about. But game three in itself was a tale of two stories. It was a tale of Tuka Rask and the news that broke an hour and a half before a puck drop. And as well as how the Bruins responded that game. If you have any thoughts, feel free to leave, leave a vest, voice message at 855-915-WMFO, 855-915-9636. I'll post to you this question, Bruin fans. Given what happened in Game 3, and I'm, I'm talking specifically solely on Game 3, how do you feel about the Bruins' mental fortitude at this point? If I'm the Bruins, and, I've, and I'm the Bruins fan, you've got to feel pretty damn good. Consider this. When you look at the leadership group, and I'm talking about guys such as Daniel Char, David Krejci, Patrice Bergeron, Brad Marchand, the guys that have been there and done that, you've got to give them a lot of credit for their ability to be able to handle this adversity, and especially given the situation that was at hand and how it, is, it happened oh so subtly, in terms of all of us finding out, but I'm sure the players must have knew before the media did. Because I can't help but go back to game two and think about the comments after the Bruins lost game two and say, hmm, I don't think this is a guy that sounds like he wants to be here. And it it really didn't. It didn't sound like a guy that was willing to make the sacrifice to to be with the team, to make another run for the Stanley Cup and so forth. But now that we know the truth, that's, that's, that's completely understandable. However, in terms of Char, in terms of Krejci, Bergeron, I really can't help but to be proud of the fact that these guys were able to weather the storm. And not only that, prove just how important that was going to be for the remainder of the series. Coming up next, I'm going to talk about Game 4 of the first round series against the Carolina Hurricanes, plus touch on the Celtics as well later in the show, so stay tuned for that. Coming up next on the Shukri Wright Show on 91.5 FM WMFO in Medford. This is Shukri Wright. You're listening to 91.5 FM WMFO in Medford, streaming nationwide on the TuneIn Radio app and globally on WMFO.org.
alt-rock from the 90s, and pop rock from the 2000s and today. Just the best rock from whenever. On Rock of Ages, Thursday mornings here at 91.5 FM WMFO.
Welcome back to the Shukri Wright Show on 91.5 FM, WMFO, and Medford South Free Farm Radio. Streaming nationwide on a TuneIn radio app and globally on WMFO.org. Just as a reminder, you can catch this program every Saturday from 5 p.m. to 6 p.m. 91.5 FM, WMFO, and Medford. Streaming nationwide on the TuneIn radio app globally, WMFO.org. If you happen to miss the broadcast, you can also catch it on demand at at iHeartRadio, as well as Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and the Anchor app as well. Just want to pass that reminder along to all of you for those who are listening to the show for the first time. Now, game four between the Bruins and the Carolina Hurricanes. What a game. What a game. What a game. Now, I will admit that during this segment, it's going to sound like I am rambling and ranting, but... To hell with it. I am just going to say exactly what I am thinking, what my emotions were. Because as I was watching game four on Monday night, and I, I'm going to be completely honest with you, I was out and about. I wasn't home, but I found a way to watch the game on the phone. And that in itself was just absolutely beautiful in its own in its own right. Now, when they went down one nothing. I wasn't necessarily thrilled with the way that they played, given that they've had opportunities, but they just weren't capitalizing. I'm talking about the Bruins. And then as well as the winning went down 2 nothing, um, in the second period. And I just wasn't, again, very happy. I was actually quite moody, if I'm being completely honest. I was just in an absolutely crappy mood. And in the third period... I didn't know what type of energy they were going to come out with. I mean, after all, I remember at the beginning of the third period, they had a power play that had carried over from the end of the second period into the third period. And when that happened, I said, well, hmm, this is an opportunity for the Bruins to perhaps capitalize and see what happens and so forth. But one thing about the Stanley Cup playoffs is that you just never know who is going to break out when how, and in what situation it's going to happen. Say hello to Jay, to Jay DeBrusque, will you? Jake DeBrusque, hi. Thank you for showing up when I needed you to show up. Thank you so much. Thank you. Did you Listen, did you see that goal? The way that he just, not only that he scored after James Reimer, more of him later on in this segment, by the way, the way that he basically leaped over James Reimer, still had the presence of all, shoot the puck into the into the open net, and to score that important goal, which made the game 2-1 Carolina at that point. But when I tell you, when, I, when he scored that goal, I was like, wow. Why do I have a feeling that this was going to be compared to the Bobby Orr goal in a sense of how they both went airborne? And little did I know, the internet actually followed up with that side-by-side comparison. Go figure. And on top of that, I thought that goal was, okay, at that moment in time, hmm, this is a big goal. This is a big, big moment for the Bruins. If this was this was a team that they needed some sort of a spark, that was it. I thought that was it. No, 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 no. There's more. There's a lot more that's coming in a Charlie McAvoy. And I'm telling you, if the Boston Bruins 
win the series, they're going to look back at one particular moment in game four. In the third period, Bruins had just scored to make the game 2-1 Carolina. They're still trailing. Charlie McAvoy, who I have long said repeatedly that he is this franchise's next great defenseman, he laid a hit on Jordan Stahl that took him out the game. And I, I sincerely hope that, that he's going to be okay. I really do. I'm not one that's sitting here just saying that, well, oh, well, he, he got knocked out. Well, too bad. No. Rather, if anything, I'm saying, look, I'm telling you, I'm telling you, McAvoy's head on stall definitely was like a wake-up call for everyone watching and as well as the players on the bench, even for me, because I'm not going to lie. 2-1, I'm like, okay, they're back in the game, but I wasn't expecting remotely, let alone like with the events that were about to unfold, the way that they unfolded, that the Bruins were going to somehow be able to wake up and get their engines going. But, man, that hit by McAvoy changed everything. You want to talk about from being awake to suddenly saying, hello, that was it. That was it right there. And the events that happened after were nothing short of just absolutely amazing. I'm telling you, listen, if you think about it and you, and you go back and you, and you think about what happened in game four, and if you're the Boston Bruins, and that third period, after it was already 2-1, McAvoy had already laid the big hit on Jordan Stahl that took him out the game and, and, and whatnot. I'm telling you, if you are the Boston Bruins, I'm telling you, you I'm telling you, somehow, someway, that moment, woke up the rest of the team. Because listen, that goal by Connor Clifton, I, listen, can someone for the love of God tell me how that goal went in? Because it seemed like he shot that putt from an impossible angle. And that really did look like it was from an impossible angle. I don't know how how on earth he was able to even get that in. I mean, that in itself is just amazing just to even get to that point. But Connor Clifton ties up. And at that point, I'm like, uh-oh. Uh-oh. Here we go. Now the Bruins are finally waking up. Let's see, let's see how much more they got left in him. Oh. <laughs> I'm telling you, listen, ladies and gentlemen, um, <laughs> that goal, that, that goal really, really got me going. Really got me going. I tell you, I tell you what. Listen, at that point, it's two-two. I'm thinking, well, hmm, will the Bruins take the lead, or will this drag into an, another overtime game? I didn't know. No one really knew. But at that point, I knew that the momentum was pretty clear. That it's on the Bruins side. And that if anything else, Carolina did not have a response. And the part that stood out to me was that there was a stretch in that third period in game four where the Carolina Hurricanes did not have a single shot on net. At one point, it was actually 18 shots on net for the Bruins versus zero for Carolina. Let, let, Let that marinate for a moment. Let that marinate for a moment. The Bruins went 
a significant amount of stretch of time in the third period and did not allow a single goal, did not allow a single shot. And the third goal that Carolina scored, it wasn't until very late in the third period. By that point, the Bruins already had the game already in hand. So that in itself was just absolutely amazing to watch. Now, for the remainder of the game, now, oh, man, can we talk about the Brad Marchand goal? Because the Brad Marchand goal was absolutely a thing of beauty. Seriously. I mean, good God. How many times have we seen Marchand, throughout the duration of his career, take advantage of a beautifully placed chip bank shot off the boards, take it in, come in on net with full speed, and score five hole or even top shelf? Hell. The first time I remember seeing that happening was Game 6 of the 2011 Stanley Cup Finals. You remember that first goal that gave the Bruins a 1-0 lead? It's very similar play. It was, it was a puck that was chipped off the boards. Marshan snuck in behind the defense and scored on Roberto Luongo. This one was basically a beautiful shoulder fake in which that I'm telling you, if you were a Bruins fan, that was an absolute beauty of a goal. I couldn't be more happy to see that. I was like, wow. Okay. Now, the Bruins, in a course of 6 minutes and 51 seconds, outshored 15 to nothing the Hurricanes. The Bruins outshot the Hurricanes 15 nothing in a, in a span of almost 7 minutes. That in itself is even more remarkable, which told me two things. One, when the Bruins want to play shutdown defense, they're more than capable of playing shutdown defense. And that's something that in itself that when you go that long without allowing the Hurricanes a single shot on on goal, what does that tell you? That tells you that that the defense for the Bruins, that they're really beginning to turn a corner in terms of shutting down the top line. I mean, so much was made early in the series in terms of the top line for the Carolina Hurricanes is talented. I mean, they have talented forwards. And, I mean, if we're going to be completely honest, the, the, the Hurricanes have faced some some specific losses in the last two games. Andres um, Swishnikov and now Jordan Stahl. Those two losses are absolutely enormous for the Carolina Hurricanes. No questions about that. But in terms of the Boston Bruins defensively, they, were, they just seemed to be able to raise the, their game, and that in itself was just absolutely amazing to watch. And now, I want to pose this question to you, Bruin fans. Based on what you've seen, do you feel more confident that the Bruins can win without Tukarask? I'm just, just asking. Just something to think about and ask yourself. Hit me up. Leave a voice message at 855-915-WMFO, 855-915-9636. And in a continuation with the third period, because that third period was absolutely a game changer. Now, I was critical of Jake DeBrus early in the series because he had gone absolutely ice cold. He hadn't scored much. He hadn't been doing much offensively. Now, what we saw last night was a player not only seemingly finally waking up, but was finally able to 
by his scoring touch, he scored two goals last night in game three. The second goal that he scored was the insurance goal that put the goal, the Bruins up, and that was the goal that put them up 4-2 to two at that point. And this was at 14-17 in the third period, wrist shot. And DeBrus, listen, I'm happy for the man. I was critical of him early in the series. He, I mean, he wasn't doing much. We needed more from him in terms of offense, in terms of the goal scoring and whatnot, and the secondary goal scoring. Listen, if there was a time that you really saw that in abundance, that was in the third period of game four. Listen, if you look at the four goals that were scored, DeBrusque scored twice, Connor Clifton chipped in with the goal, and as, and, and that was that in itself was like a great sign, especially from the that fourth line as well. And I'm telling you, if that is a good sign for the Bruins moving forward, that is going to be a problem for the rest of the National Hockey League because there was a point in time that, listen, all of us Bruin fans and all Bruin fans across New England were thinking, well, is this team ever going to be able to find its game? Is this team ever going to be able to have a moment where they say, ah, that's the Bruins that we were prior to, to the pause due to the coronavirus outbreak? That was it in game four. In game four, I'm telling you, I couldn't believe what I saw in the third period. Because honestly, after two periods, I was not feeling great about this team at all. Especially the way that they looked, the way that they were not taking advantage of opportunities, and especially in the way that the Bruins offensively, they just seemed like they couldn't get past James Reimer. And here's, here's the here's the irony in all of this. The irony in all of this is that James Reimer, once upon a time, was a Toronto Maple Leaf. And if you all remember Game 7 of the 2013 first-round series against the Toronto Maple Leafs, you also remember that James Reimer was also in net when, when Toronto was up, what, 4-1? Remember how that ended? Bruins scored three unanswered goals. We all remember. We all remember how that how that went. You know, Bergeron tied it up towards the end of regulation. And then Bergeron wins it in overtime for the Bruins. So this isn't the first time that we've seen the Boston Bruins put up a crooked number on James Reimer in the playoffs. Although this wasn't game seven, but given the fact that Carolina had a 2-0 lead and things were seemingly going their way through the first 40 minutes of play, that in itself is a reminder as to why the Bruins, I strongly believe now that even without Tuka Rask, that based on what we saw in that third period, that the Bruins really looked like the old Boston Bruins from prior to the coronavirus outbreak and the break and pause in the NHL schedule. Feel free to leave your thoughts at 855-915-WMFO, 855-915-9636. Someone from upper management will forward them to me. Coming up next, I want to touch on, on the Celtics just a little bit while continuing discussing the series in terms of the Boston Bruins as well. But I definitely want to touch on the Celtics um, first-round series against the Philadelphia Sixers. That and much more coming up next on the Shooky Right Show on 91.5 FM WMFO. In Medford. This is Shuki Rights. You are listening 
to 91.5 FM WMFO and Metro Tusk Reform Radio. Streaming nationally on the TuneIn Radio app and globally on WMFO.org. Social distancing tip. While the CDC urges you to avoid close contact, like hugging or shaking hands, there are other non-physical ways to say hello. Wave, wink, use sign language, salute, smile, give the peace sign, throw up an air high five, do jazz hands. Remember, stay a minimum of six feet or two arms length away from others and stay home if you can. For more info, visit coronavirus.gov. Let's all do our part because we're all hashtag alone together. Brought to you by the Ad Council. There's one thing you can never have sex without. It's not something you buy. Or something you take. In fact, there's only one way to get it. It has to be given to you, freely. It's consent. Because sex without it isn't sex. It's rape. Consent. If you don't get it, you don't get it. It's on us to stop sexual assault. Learn how and take the pledge at itsonus.org. Hey, you moved my stump. I'm going to wreck it. I can fix it. Switch on the sky and the stars glow for you. Go see the world because it's all so brand new. Don't close your eyes because you feel
back to the Shukri Ray Show on 91.5 FM WMFO in Medford, Tusfree from Radio. Glad you could be with me today on the Saturday afternoon. I got to start out with the breaking news that came out on Tuesday in regarding to Gordon Hayward. Now, it was reported on ESPN on, on a Tuesday that Gordon Hayward, who sustained a sprained ankle, it was diagnosed on Tuesday and it was discovered that he has a grade three spring, which means that he is going to miss approximately up to four weeks for the Boston Celtics. Now, this is just bad news all the way around through and through. Now, I want to talk about something that in which that I actually had the opportunity to think about, you know, when the news broke. And that is that the loss of Gordon Hayward is going to absolutely be huge. Now, although that Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown have emerged, and Jason Tatum had 32 points in the game, one win over the Philadelphia Sixers, and Jalen Brown chipped in uh, with with, uh, 28 points as well, I want to point out that Gordon Hayward's loss is going to be absolutely huge. And I say this because Gordon Hayward coming into this series against Philadelphia, I thought was going to be the X factor in terms of, can he provide you 21, 25 points uh, per night on a, on a nightly basis in terms of adding a third offensive threat to the team? Gordon Hayward's injury only solidifies the fact that Marcus Smart's role is going to become even more crucial as the series goes along. Now, in Game 1, I have to admit that I wasn't necessarily pleased at first, with the way that the, the Celtics came out defensively, but offensively, I really like what I saw from Jason Tatum. You know, he had a game-high 32 points for the Celtics, and more, more than anything else, he, his rebounding definitely came critical, especially at times when Philadelphia really began to find its game, and, and Tatum's rebounding allowed the Celtics to have those key possessions in which that especially in the second half of the third and fourth quarter in which that when the Celtics fell behind and they needed those key possessions to get back into the game, Tatum's rebounds definitely proved very critical. And the, the, the amazing part about it is that Kimba Walker was very honest about it after the game in when he said that, listen, we could be a lot better. And I think the Celtics can be a lot better than what they were in game one. They didn't play their best game by any stretch of the imagination, not, not by a long shot. But I do think that the Celtics... By and large, they have a lot to improve on, especially when it comes to um, how are they going to defend Joel Embiid because Joel Embiid was a force. 
he was a force in game one, and I really do think that if you are the Celtics and the more they look at film, they're going to figure out how to best defend Joel Embiid. Although the, the, the Sixers, they've shown, even without Ben Simmons, they can't seem to get out of their own way. The turnovers, the turnovers were absolutely a story in the in, in, in the first half. It was just bad all the way through and through. And I actually had a, I had a friend of mine who was texting me during the game and, and was just getting frustrated by just some of the, the lackadaisical coaching by Brett Brown. And I couldn't, I couldn't agree more. And I felt that for the Sixers, even without Ben Simmons, you still could have gotten a lot more out of Joel Embiid. But even then, you had you had Tobias Harris, who, who who was definitely a factor as well on the defensive side of the ball, as well as able to chip in some offense. But I do think the Celtics, they are good in terms of recognizing that, hey, we can be better and we should be a whole lot better. So game two is definitely going to be interesting, and I look forward to see how that unfolds. Now, the Celtics will go on to win games two and three, but I got to tell you something. Like In terms of the, the effort from, from the Philadelphia Sixers, can someone light a fire under the behind of Brett Brown, the head coach of the Philadelphia Sixers, please? Because to me, it just seems like the Sixers, even in spite, with, in spite of not having Ben Simmons, they just don't seem like they want to be there. Outside of Joel Embiid, what exactly have the Sixers done in this series? I like for someone to honestly tell me. No, no next to nothing. Don't get me wrong; they, they've made runs in games, you know, you know, like where like it seemed like that the Sixers would pull out in front, also oh, temporarily, and then the Celtics would finally, you know, get their game together, and you know Tatum would go on these crazy runs, and and then you'll also get. Um, get a lot from Kimba Walker and as well as, as well as Jalen um, uh, Brown. But uh, I gotta admit that the loss of Gordon Hayward is definitely going to hurt the Celtics. But I don't think it's the end of all be all for the Celtics at all. By and large part, listen. Tomorrow's game four. Tomorrow afternoon at one o'clock. I expect the Celtics to pull off the sweep because number one, I see the the, the Philadelphia Sixers as the team that has constantly underachieved. You know, the slogan in Philadelphia has been for the longest, trust the process, trust the process. How the, how the hell are you trusting the process if you have had very little playoff success to make up for the fact that you tanked in consecutive years to get number one overall picks, and you got, what, Markel Fultz, Joel Embiid, Ben Simmons, and Ben Simmons is a guy who does not want to involve his offensive game. Joel Embiid, you know what you have, but at the same time, this is a guy that can barely keep himself in, in, in shape. Malcolm Fuzz is not even a sixer anymore. So if you're the Boston Celtics at this point, I really do ask you the following. And yes, I'm going to look ahead to, 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 to the second round. At this point, do you believe that the Celtics will be in the weather storm without Gordon Hayward for the next four weeks? And that I think the Celtics will be able to, but I think first things first, if you're the Boston Celtics, you just finish it off tomorrow. The Sixers, as it turned out, as I found out on Twitter today, they canceled their scheduled practice. That tells me they don't, they don't even want, they don't want to be there anymore. They're done. They're mentally checked out. I wholeheartedly believe it. It's actually borderline sad and comical at the same time. <laughs> so now 
In terms of the Boston Bruins, I want to get back to the Bruins for a moment. Bruins, they wrap up the series against the Carolina Hurricanes. They, they win game five. And especially that game-winning goal by Patrice Bergeron. I mean, that was just, that was just a perfect bank shot over right after goalie. Now they will face the Tampa Bay Lightning. And during next week's show, we're going to talk about the series between the Bruins and the Lightning. And it's going to be, listen, I expect that series to go, to go seven games all the way through and through. I don't think that that series is going to be a short four or five game series at all. Both teams have large chips on their shoulders. The Lightning, after what happened last year, losing the first round, getting swept by Columbus. And the Bruins, you know, laying an absolute goose egg in Game 7 of the Stanley Cup Finals last year. I do believe that the Boston Bruins are going to have an absolute dogfight of a series against the Tampa Bay Lightning. But what I am most curious about is, is in terms of if you are the Boston Bruins going into the series against Tampa Bay, what's the number one concern that you have? For me, it's the goaltending of, of Yaroslav Halak. It's not coming from a lack of belief that he can get the job done, but in case if you haven't heard, there's two back-to-backs in this series alone, in the best-of-seven series. Normally, you don't start your goaltender on, on, on back-to-back games, especially during a regular season. That just doesn't happen. But in the playoffs, given the situation with Tuka Rask opting out of the bubble, so it's Yaroslav Halak, and, and now your backup is Danny Vladar, and Danny Vladar has no experience playing in the NHL whatsoever, you're stretched thin. You're absolutely stretched thin in that position. So that's the concern that I would have for the Boston Bruins going into that series against Tampa Bay. Not so much the personnel, but the back-to-back games that the Bruins are going to, are going to endure. Potentially twice. So that, I think, the Bruins are going to have their hands full, especially especially going up against a Lightning team in which that, listen, they're still dangerous even without Steven Stamkos. They're still a dangerous team. And that when we look at Tampa Bay's side, you know, with Tyler Johnson, you know, Nikita Kucherov, Victor Hedman, the all-world defenseman on, on patrol on the blue line, I think that the, the Boston Bruins... They can match up well, and I think they do match up well. I know the concern for Bruin fans is considering that, well, two years ago, the Bruins played the Lightning in, in round two of the playoffs and lost in five, but that was a different team then. And this team has had the motivation all season long, even through the, the, the pause in the NHL schedule, to be able to find a way and to be able to get it done. And I think that the Bruins will be able to ultimately find a way to, to overcome the adversity of not having Tuka Rask and as well as anything else that may come their way during the series. Coming up next, final thoughts are going to be coming up just shortly after this music break here on 91.5 FM WMFO in Medford. This is Shukri Rates. You're listening to 91.5 FM WMFO in Medford. Streaming nationwide on the TuneIn Radio app and globally on WMFO.org.
Shows out the sun was sweet, I didn't look I let it in my eyes Like an exotic drink The radio playing songs That I have never heard I don't know what to say Oh, not another word Just la-la-la-la It goes around the world Just la-la-la-la Welcome back to the Shukri Wright Show on 91.5 FM WMFO and Medford streaming nationwide on the TuneIn Radio app and globally on WMFO.org. Final thoughts here brought to you by yours truly, Shukri Wright to 91.5 FM WMFO. I want to just say that um, just a couple of things. One, in terms of the Bruins and the Celtics right now, you know, the Celtics, they're, they're going to be playing in the second round. The Bruins to start their second round series against the Tampa Bay Lightning tomorrow, tomorrow night, as a matter of fact, 8 o'clock on NBC. I do want to know. I do want to know this. If you are a Bruins or a Celtics fan right now, which team do you have the most confidence in in being able to win it all, Bruins or Celtics? And to me, right now, I look at the the Bruins and I say, you know, 
This team, they, it has a chance. It has a legitimate chance. And we've seen the mental fortitude on full display for the, for the Bruins during their first round series against the Carolina Hurricanes. And I really wholeheartedly believe that if you are, if you're the Boston Bruins, that this is their, this is it, this is their, this is the last chance, arguably and potentially, in terms of, you know, winning another Stanley Cup with this core group of Char, Bergeron, Krejci, and Marchand. And I do know for the Celtics, the, the, the future is very bright and young. You look at Tatum, you look at Brown. And then, and then, as well as you know, last year they added, you know, Kimball Walker, you know, and you know they have they have decent pieces around it as well. You know, Daniel Tice, um, you know, uh, Brad Wanamaker as well. I mean, the Celtics, if they if they get to the conference finals again, I think they have a legitimate chance to go to the NBA finals. But ultimately, between the two teams of being able to, uh, who would have the best opportunity to win it all again? I think it, I think the Bruins right now would be that team. I wholeheartedly have the most confidence in this group of being able to, you know, bring bring home another Stanley Cup. And I just want to throw in a, a quick Patriots thought as well. It's going to be fascinating to see how this all works out in terms of the, this whole idea that Bill Belichick wants to platoon quarterbacks um, for, for at the beginning of the season and whatnot. I mean, the the idea seems a bit crazy, but. Well, Belichick, you just never know. I mean, September is basically going to be glorified preseason since there is no preseason games played during the month of August due to the pandemic and whatnot. That'll be all for the Sugar Red Show today on WMFO. We'll catch you again next week. Celtics, they'll look to close out their series against Philadelphia. Bruins, they start their season, their series against the Tampa Bay Lightning. That's next week, and we'll talk about it then. This is Shukri Wright signing out. You're listening to 91.5 FM WMFO in Medford. Shukri Nationwide on TuneIn Radio, globally on WMFO.org. I'll talk to you guys next week. Take care, everybody.